Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 10. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. Today we're talking about something really exciting for us. We are announcing our independence. Yay! Uh, so that's a, that's a play on words, but it's really stupid play on words because both words really just mean independent. Um, but we're indie now. We're that indie game good. developers. A lot of people might have thought we were indie already. Ooh, yeah, it's, it's really strange because even the word indie uh, mean, like the, the definition is heavily debated on forums and blogs and, and everywhere. And uh, it might start to be a little more well-defined when the mainstream stuff comes out, like uh, indie game, the movie. That should be pretty cool. But um, yeah, so we, we started Lost Decade Games uh, as a part-time thing when we were still full-time at Raptor. Yep, doing web development. Yeah, and we were uh, calling ourselves indie because we, you know I don't I don't know like we're not like we were trying to say hey we're not a triple A studio or anything we're just these two dudes who like to make games together. We're like kind of hobbyists. Yeah, we were hobbyists at the time, and we were we were trying to take it seriously. But like I think that's common for a lot of hobbyists is they oh they start to paint and they really enjoy it and they're doing pretty good so maybe they'll have a gallery and sell some like they're not doing well enough that they do it full time yet but they're they're independent and they're they're trying like right. that's. That's what we were doing for a long time, and then, especially from a, a public perspective, our we got kind of weird where we were like having to be kind of quiet about stuff, and but we were still looking to like hire people, you know. We, we were kind of branching out a little bit, looking for artists and programmers and stuff. And what was going on is we were working uh, for Game Closure for most of 2011, right? Yep. So we were there working on um, some of their engine tech and uh, platform stuff. So yeah, we were doing that for about eight months or something like that, and uh, and then we just really wanted to be independent, you know. Yeah, I think we just wanted to, you know, make our games, the kind of games we started LDG wanting to make. Yeah, we love uh, like kind of classic games with tight gameplay and dragons and especially dragons, especially dragons, and and we really love HTML5, and we don't really as much care where HTML5 lives. And like we also really like working on the web. Like we come from web backgrounds, and it's what we know the most and most and are most familiar with on the tech side. But it's also really important to me to be on the web because, like, uh, I think I still think the web is the strongest platform. Like it's the most open, the most prevalent, the biggest network. Yeah, it'd be great to really see it, you know, kind of come into its own in terms of monetization and stuff like that. Because there are a lot of features that are killer, like distribution and just. You know, no installation and anything right. like that. It's actually kind of funny. We were talking earlier today about the barrier to entry, even on Chrome Web Store, having to install apps. You know. Yeah, you wouldn't think that there would be a barrier to entry. So, so like the Chrome Web Store launched in end of 2010, and it was finally bringing some of these like App Store qualities from. So like uh, on on the iPhone App Store, it's it's really great to find. Like it's easy to find. Uh, highlighted games, good games, top games, stuff like that. And it's also really easy to buy stuff. You just hit like an install button, type your password, and bam, you're charged. And Chrome Web Store is kind of bringing some of that stuff to the web, which is great. It's hard, though, because it's so easy just to go to Congregate and be playing a game in like 10 seconds. You know, then you click on another icon, you're playing that game. Click on another icon, you're playing that game. Right. So what you were talking about with the barrier to entry is you might be looking around for some games on the Chrome Web Store, and all of a sudden you see one, and you, you want to play it instantly, right? You want to click the link, and bam, you're playing. But instead, you have to click Install, and it and it starts to download, and it kicks you into a new tab, and it bubbles up the icon there, and then you got to click on it. And, all right, this is more of a process. Yeah, and I mean, as compared to going 
and whipping out your credit card and downloading a game and then running an installer and all that stuff compared to that it is worlds better but it's still not good enough where you can just click a link and play right and then kind of you know we'll, we'll work out payment later <laughs> if it works out you know well with a lot of games going freemium that's even more in that you know even more beneficial yeah um so it seems like one of the biggest lessons we learned um, the last like year or two is that freemium is the way to go. Like free to play feels to me like the future because I've noticed changes in my own behavior where like I don't want to, I pretty much won't buy a game without either having played it and liked it or the company having a lot of leeway. Like okay, it's a Konami Castlevania game. Like I'm I'm sold. Right. Or like uh, it's by Capcom and my friends said it was amazing or. Like, really positive word of mouth or something like that. Most of the time, I, I want to play it first. And the model where you download a demo, and then they're like, eh, what do you think? You ready to buy it yet? Like, that's... It's just not as good as you're just playing the game, and then, like... You run into some wall where you're like, you can make this faster for by paying money. Yeah. And then the incentive to do that is much greater. Yeah, I, I really feel like the the model itself is is the future as far as like you're playing for free and, and we'll work out payment later. I, I just don't feel like the, the, the free-to-play model is, is completely solidified yet. Like I don't think any one company has a really solid fundamental understanding of like the direction that needs to go in order to uh, basically be the perfect model. You know what I mean? Some people, they monetize on convenience. Some people monetize on content. And there isn't one way yet that I've seen that's just like wraps it up in a perfect package, you know? It also seems like a lot of these companies rely on the whales or whatever that spend the most money, spend like a disproportionate amount of money uh, on the game, you know, to subsidize the 95% of the people that play it for free. Right. Yeah. So my girlfriend, Andrea, just started working at uh, Playdom a couple of weeks ago. And uh, she's been coming home and telling me about, you know, their stats and numbers and models and all that. And, uh, She'll come home and she's doing some homework, like playing a game or something. I'll kind of be looking over her shoulder, and uh, I'll notice she pulls up the store or something. And there's a, you can just buy like in-game gold and in, in one of these games, and, and they're the like the hog Facebook games, like uh, I don't can't remember the name. They're all like emperors and paintings to find in the garden. Oh, the hidden object games. Those hidden object games. Okay, yeah. I was really confused when you said hog. Oh, sorry. Yeah, hidden object game. So uh, she'll pull up the store, and there's like you know one dollar for X number of coins, and it goes all the way up to a hundred bucks. And I'm like, holy shit, who is going to buy that? And she's like, well, we do have people buy it. They're called whales. That's so true. That is the problem. Is like 99% of players, or you know, it's probably more like 97 or something. Whatever your numbers are, uh, most people don't pay when you have the F, like free to play model. Right. But it still makes money. So. Yeah. Anyways, it's kind of a tangent. Kind of. Uh, it is something that we're going to have to figure out for ourselves, though, because it definitely seems like the direction that we're going. Because uh, we didn't have a whole lot of luck putting a paywall up in front of players of the game. You know, We're like, hey, we got this game, Onslaught, Onslaught Arena, you go check it out. And they go and look at it, and they're like, oh, it looks pretty, two bucks? I don't know. Pass. That's pretty much how it went most of the time. I think so. But um, now that we're like we're doing this on our own, funding ourselves, bootstrapping, so will be a lot of interesting stuff in the coming weeks as we talk about the experiments that we've tried and you know how our game sales are doing in various markets so yeah you if you follow us on our blog or, or on twitter uh you've probably already noticed a difference uh in the last uh 
X number of months and, and the last month itself is uh, we're focusing now more on new content, um, new games. We got I'm working on a game called Lava Sword, and uh, you're working on a really cool puzzle game. And I'm really yeah. excited about both the games. We have so many more ideas. Um, more ideas than time. Yeah, that's time. for sure. We need more more time. Vivian can send us some time. So in addition to working on games, of course, we'll be continuing to do Lost Cast at uh, regular intervals. Yeah, that's the other thing that uh, being indie is going to be able to afford us is uh, you should pretty reliably start to see a weekly podcast. We like doing them, and uh, the reception's been really positive. Love yeah. the feedback. Thanks a lot. So that'll keep going. And uh, I don't know. You know what we might consider is, is if uh, a couple months down the road, if, uh, if we haven't had a, a game that's making us sustainable, we, we, may, we may attempt a Kickstarter. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. I think for that, we were playing with the idea of... Uh, we love turn-based strategy games. Oh, yeah. Like, we probably talk about Shining Forest more than we're aware of. But, man, we <laughs> love we love those games. And uh, turn-based strategy is, is one of our, like, bread-and-butter genres. I think the hard part with Kickstarter is it's, you know, it's really easy to kind of want to shoot for the shoot for the moon with yeah. your proposal, right? And then it might be better to kind of keep it grounded and ask for a smaller amount. Yeah. That seems like the way to go for us is, okay, we need to, you know, pay rent for a month or two in order to make this game right so in order to do that we really only need like you know five ten k we don't need several hundred thousand or whatever and that'd be a lot more obtainable that sounds like a lot of fun it'd be a cool experiment so if you hear this and you would contribute to a kickstarter if we started one um let us know we're starting to put our feelers out and we're we're wondering if uh if crowdsourcing is something that we could leverage yeah that's true so we had some more big news this week uh, on our blog on Monday, we posted that we had open sourced on Slot Arena. Yep. It's been, I guess, almost two years since we started. About a year and a half, yeah. Yeah, about a year and a half. So it is on our GitHub account. And so there's a lot of confusing things going on with Onslaught in general. Is For one, <clears throat> Onslaught Arena has been open sourced. That is the web version. And it's also on the Mac App Store, and it's in the Chrome Web Store. So Onslaught is a different game than Onslaught Arena. Onslaught is the one that we did working with Game Closer using their SDK. That is on Android tablets and iPad. And that's also the one that Joshua Morris did the new original soundtrack for, where it's like uh, right. like eight tracks or something. Because there's like five distinct stages, yes. each with their own soundtrack. Right, and Onslaught Arena, um, we took the easy way out, and every time... Uh, the level would change. Every, every 10 levels, it would just kind of get darker so that by the end, you're playing at nighttime. Yeah, yeah. But in Onslaught, we did uh, five environments. So there's like the sewer and the dragon's lair and all that. So they're different games, and we're not able to open source Onslaught just yet because it was made with uh, the Game Closure SDK. I know that's confused some people, and uh, sorry about that. But uh, but they're still in private beta, so... Right. One thing that's come up a lot, too, is why did we want to open source Onslaught Arena? I probably didn't want to. You, you didn't want to. <laughs> well, just because of code embarrassment. Oh, yes. I think it's very natural for most programmers to feel like the work they did, like, you know, two years ago or whatever, is not good enough. Yeah. I feel like anything I've done three to six months ago is, is usually starting to stink. It's got a, it's got a stench about it. That's right. <laughs> um, and this is really old for us. And we didn't, uh, we didn't use an engine. No, it's just completely from scratch, canvas. I think actually not using an engine is probably one of the best things that we did with that game because we didn't try to make an engine while we were writing it. And we didn't try to learn an engine. Actually, at that point, there wasn't even an engine to use. 
this is before Impact came out and right. any of these other engines, really. Um, but we kind of just focused on making the game, and we didn't try to make it too abstract, and we actually got you know to the finish line. Yeah. Produced the game, submitted it to contests, Chrome Web Store, etc. Based on our track record, I think that we could easily have fallen in the engine trap with Onslaught. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in that hole many times myself. That's probably one of our biggest weaknesses is like wanting to build build out all this generic abstraction in the midst of trying to create a product around it. Yeah. It's almost like the engine stuff distracts you from the finish line of the game. Because you're like, dude, if I just put in a little more work, I could make this totally reusable for the next game. And that's very tempting sometimes, but sometimes you just want to get the game done and yep. move on. So anyways, we took a lot of shortcuts with the code. There's some parts of it that are gross, but there's some parts of it that are actually really cool. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting because... Hopefully well, people can learn from what's there. So let's point people at the good parts and the bad parts, because let's say... I have seen this before where someone's like, hey, I've been hearing a lot about HTML5 games, but I have not seen like a the code for a whole game. So I don't right. know what that would look like. So we could point them at Onslaught, source code, but the problem is I'd want to have like a caveat where we're like, look at this, not this. <laughs> well, you can look at whatever you want, but do this, don't do this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> So definitely don't do anything revolving around our, UI code. <laughs> yeah, or the, the UI code. So like the the title screen, the game over screen, the pause menu, uh, registering where the input is detected. Yeah, like whether a button has been pressed or not. That stuff's all as ghetto as it gets. Yeah, but you can take a look at some of the like core game mechanics about how monsters are spawned and how they act and how weapons work. So um, look at uh, objects and object underscore types. Uh, so basically any object in the game is, it would be kind of like a, a slab of meat or, a, or some gold or an enemy or a projectile, like a weapon or a sword. And they all have these, uh, it was always really easy to add new objects. And like, I remember we added ice weapons to Onslaught when we put it on iPad and Android tablets, and it was so easy to get that in. We just, like, here's a graphic, bam. We just changed some numbers, and then we added, like, a frozen parameter on one of the monsters. Yeah, it was really easy to add a new frozen state that made the enemies frozen instead of stunned and things like that. So so that code's really tight. Like, if, if there's anything you should look at in Onslaught, it should be the, the object code, and uh, I think the math is pretty, pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Like, the vector class and the rectangle class pretty useful yeah they should be really generally useful for people trying to do like simple algebra yeah linear algebra that was my weakest uh when i when we first started working together i remember i would see like oh cool that uh, you can uh aim your weapon now and if you if you aim like you fire at the at the enemy from a angle the the sword will like line up with that oh yeah and that was fucking confusing to me <laughs> I, I had to read the code like three times i finally went back and made like my own version sort of um, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But, um, yeah, I didn't understand it the first, like, three times I read it. I think I had to sit down one afternoon and just really, like, hammer through, like, vectors and then conversions to angles and different things like that. Yeah. You kind of just have to play with it until you understand it. That's the way math is. Right, right. That's why we didn't open want to open source Onslaught, because we're kind of embarrassed by the bad code. But why, why did we want to open source Onslaught? Um, well, one, I think just to like kind of move on from it and like put it out there like we've kind of decided that we want to focus on some more freemium models and uh, it's a game that's enjoyed like some kind of like 
niche popularity, I think, just among like HTML5 game developers and people kind of interested in that space and not a lot of commercial success. And so I think we want to just open source it as an example of an HTML5 game and, you know, to thank the people that bought it from us. Yeah. So, I mean, if we can help other people, I feel like a lot of the people that bought our game are probably people that are interested in HTML5 itself. And so it's kind of a little way to say thanks and like, here's something that might help you in your own journey to making games. Yeah, exactly. I, I almost feel like if we had sold the source code instead of the game itself, it would have sold better. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much all that we're known for. Like, uh, I mean, aside from the like the podcast and some of the, the articles and tutorials we've posted on our blog and stuff, but we're pretty much known as the Onslaught guys, and uh, that's what we want to start to... Uh, gravitate away from i think not away from but like we want to have more than just that yep so in the future you're going to see less onslaught news hopefully except for this news right now where we have a new game called onslaught defense (laughs) (laughs) surprise hey surprise more onslaught (laughs) so how can we explain where we're coming from with onslaught defense well so onslaught defense is like a version of onslaught that's focused on mobile browsers and we kind of rewrote it from scratch using a new engine that we wrote for ourselves we reused all of the Onslaught graphics. So the only reason it's called Onslaught Defense is because we didn't want to make new graphics as we tested the waters with mobile games. And uh, so we just reused that and whipped up a mobile game and we called it Onslaught Defense. And so you can check it out. It's online right now. If you go to m.lostdecadegames.com, uh, you'll be able to play it right yeah. on the web. We're going to start putting our uh, mobile games up there as, as they're ready. Yeah. And so we were talking to some portals and some uh, people who licensed games and stuff and and pretty much what everybody wanted to know is like where's the mobile version of onslaught and while we do have onslaught not onslaught arena but onslaught the one with the the d-pad like on-screen analog sticks right that one is is pretty tightly coupled with the game closure sdk and what we wanted specifically was a mobile web version so rather than trying to like get back into that and make that more flexible and the control scheme is just totally off yeah, and we also just wanted a simpler version. Like, Onslaught's kind of an involved game. I'm not even sure that it's all that great of a mobile game with regards to your phone. So, like, if you're waiting for the bus or if you're, you know, in a meeting and you're bored or something, I don't know if Onslaught's the best game to play. Whereas Onslaught Defense, I think, is really great for, like, hey, I got 30 seconds to, to two minutes tops and I just kind of want to kill some stuff and right. see some pixels flying around and have a little fun. It's a much more simplified concept. Right. I like it, though. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, on the surface, the game is, is really just you're, you're controlling Zam, this little soldier guy, at the bottom of the screen, and you, you constantly are firing swords at the top of the screen, and then there's a little um, like lever at the bottom that lets you move Zam left and right. That's really all it is, right? Right. But we've added... Uh, so there's this difficulty progression, which will kind of go up, and as it gets to... So it goes from 1 to 100... And it takes about, is it, do we say 30 seconds to get from 1 to 100? I think it's like 60 seconds. 60 seconds. So the difficulty starts at 1, and it's just like a trickle of goblins. That's pretty easy. The difficulty will gradually increase until it gets to 100. No, it spawns some dragons, and then it kind of resets. But then it spawns two things per tick. Right. So once the difficulty rolls over, you're in trouble for next difficulty so ramp up. It, it starts back at 0, but instead of spawning one goblin, it spawns two goblins. Right, right, right. And so on and so forth. And then so, so you can roll over as many times as you want. Right. So that's pretty much what the game is. And then we also added these weapon trees. So as you're killing baddies, they will drop either weapons or heart containers if you're hurt. So like, let's say you have a sword, 
um, the enemies will be dropping swords, spears, and axes, and you can collect whatever you want. And it's like the crappiest version of all those weapons. Right. But then you can kind of get it like on a, on a, it's kind of like a skill tree where if you pick swords, it'll also drop sword upgrades and then you get like an iron sword, right? And it's faster and does more damage. And then you can upgrade and get the fire sword and the fire sword's super badass. And then all three weapon trees, spears, axes, and swords, they all lead to the rune forge, which is our badass weapon in the game. And once you get it, you just obliterate everything. And I think it's really satisfying, especially if you're pretty high in the difficulty where a lot of enemies are trickling in. Oh yeah, it's so satisfying when like you're about to get overwhelmed and suddenly a rune forge drops and you pick it up and you just waste bam, 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 everything. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a lot of fun. So what happened, the other benefit of picking up rune forge and, and going through the skill tree is it also resets your difficulty. So if you get really lucky and you play really well, you can set it up so that the difficulty won't roll over and increase uh for quite a while and that's how you get high score yeah there's also it's a little strange there's no sound effects yet no music we have music from joshua morris and we have the sound effects obviously from from onslaught but the problem is is we really wanted the game to run well on mobile so if you pull up the url that jeff mentioned earlier and and uh, i'll put it in the show notes too um, for onslaught defense You've got an Android phone or an iPhone. It should run on any reasonable <laughs> versions of those devices. Yeah. Well, reasonable being like 2.3 of Android and above. Yeah. And then I think it works on pretty much every version of iOS. What's the crappiest crap we've tested it on? I tested it on a iPhone 3G running iOS 4. Okay. And it worked. It was kind of slow. What was it? Was the, like, like 10 frames a second or 12 frames a second. So barely playable. But yeah, but it was playable-ish. Playable-ish. I can live with playable-ish. Yeah. Man, on iPad, that thing is getting like 48, 50 frames Oh, it a plays amazingly amazingly well on iPad. Yeah. It plays really great on my HTC uh, G2. Yeah, that's an iPad 1. On iPad 2, I'm, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's blazing. Oh, yeah, mine's an iPad 1, too, so it's, it's great. And then I've got a Nexus 1, and it's it's great. I think I get 20 to 30 frames per second. Um, and it's all canvas. Yeah, it's all canvas-based, and um, I haven't really done a whole lot of optimization yet with like dirty rectangles or anything. Yeah, we haven't really done that mostly because we don't want to three <laughs> rectangles are a pain in the ass i don't know i want to tackle it at some point well that i'm thrilled about that <laughs> i love it when there's shit that needs to be done and i don't want to do it and for some reason you're like "Ooh, i want to do that i'm like yeah. yes i think we have very different uh interests in like problem spaces that's so good yeah you'll be like hey i made this game it's a playable prototype it looks like shit here it is and i'm like yay polish <laughs> That's my favorite part, is that yeah. it, like making stuff bounce on the screen and like making them rotate and flip-flop and... Yeah, and I'm like super happy just being in the console, essentially. Like writing a game engine and interacting with it from the command line. That's really interesting. I remember you had a, a game a while back where you played the whole thing from uh, the like Web Inspector yeah. console. I basically just created some objects and then you know, it was like this little simulation. And then I could just say like, you know, simulation dot start, take turn, you know make this action happen whatever it was i think it was like a it's kind of like a turn-based strategy game hmm that's really cool i thought you had one where it was like a word game where you could like issue commands to it maybe i'm making that up a word game well not a word game sorry a uh, like a text-based game where you're like it'd be like you are in a room and you're like look and it's like you see a room bitch no no that wasn't me okay well, i mean i don't know gonna... i've actually never really been able to get into text adventures i i don't know i feel kind of the same way i i, I mean to be fair, I played... Mune. You played like a, a mud for like well. a billion years. So it's, it's different though. You know, like, I, I think the difference between a text-based adventure game and Mume, which is what I played, which is multi-users in Middle-earth, that's a, that's a mud, Right. is the multiplayer aspect, which is kind of the difference between like... Um, it's like playing chess by yourself. 
Wow, that just it makes it sound so loserish. <laughs> I was gonna say um, Skyrim versus WoW. Okay. Where some people are like, "What the hell, Skyrim? There's what are the other players? Right. No, forget this. I want to play with people." And then you go and you play WoW, right? Sure. That's kind of how Mume was compared to text-based adventure games. Like I played Mume for like two years, so I was basically pl- playing like a text-based adventure game nonstop. But right. the difference was there's other people. It's kind of like a chat room combined with that, you know? Yeah, playing with other people always makes it more interesting. I just I couldn't get into it uh, the the ver- like those games that were single player. But you love Skyrim. I do love Skyrim. I think in order for it to be single player, I need to have like graphics. visual feedback. I really do. Yeah, yeah. like I, even if it's just pixels, like I'm totally cool with that. Like back in yeah. the day, I would play the hell out of Dragon Warrior. I just I need more than like if the text isn't kind of bouncing off the screen because it's like, well, these are real people doing this, and that kind of gets me excited. Then I need art or something sure. to to pull me in. Right. Because at least with the people, it feels like unpredictable, and you don't know what they're gonna do. Whereas if you just have a, like, feel like you're reading a book. It's like it's like reading a choose your own adventure book. Yeah. Well, that's how I got into memes. I, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, how did I waste two years of my high school life <laughs> in front of a computer, like not even programming or learning, but just like playing a game? And uh, I mean, nothing against it. It's just that, like it's not, it's not similar to the way I am anymore, I guess. Uh, but it was friends who pulled me in. So it was like mm-hmm. my friend at the time, Jim and Nathan, played all the time. And I started playing with them. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. It's my friends, you know. And then what happened was they got out of it. And you kept and playing. And I remained in it. And I was like, like months later, I was talking to them about it. And they're like, dude, you realize I haven't played in like three months, right? And I'm like, I got to stop this. <laughs> all my friends are in Sweden now. And I've never seen them. <laughs> Sweden? Yeah, most of the players were Sweden. Sweden. Oh, Swedish. I see, I see. Gotcha. I thought your friends moved to Sweden or something. Oh, no, that would suck. Yeah, they're like, dude, I'm moving to Sweden. You suck. All you ever do is play Mume. <laughs> We're leaving. <laughs> We're going get, to Sweden. I'm getting out of here. Uh, so Onslaught Defense is ready to play. Uh, it's it's a game that we're licensing out to portals and stuff. Um, we don't really have any of our own like monetization methods attached to it. Like it's basically just a free to play game. There's no ads yep. or anything. So check uh, it out. Let us know what you think. I don't think it's a big enough game to do a post mortem on. Plus, it's only about half a game because it reuses like <laughs> yeah. all the art. There's like so it's just so little new art in it. I don't know. I guess we could talk a, a little bit about like do a, do a mini mortem. A mini mortem. <laughs> Pico mortem. Picanio. Picanio. Oh, what was there to say? So I I had started a version of the game with like a weak version of the engine, and then you jumped on and kind of bulldozed some stuff, and as I do, as you do, that's what I like to do too. Is you you come into some new code. I really like to. I gotta put my stink all over it. Yeah, it's it's like a dog <laughs> coming in and pissing on shit. Like, yeah. But I I I need to do that to be comfortable. You know. Totally. And I mean, maybe that just means I'm shitty to work with. But no, I mean, I don't think you're we shitty to work with. We both do it. Yeah, you do it. And I don't think you're shitty to work with. Right. But I have heard before, like we've both run into this before, where we're working on something with somebody else, and then you do some level of bulldozing and they complain about it. Right. Yeah, I've had that happen quite a bit. That, I, that's, that's a problem, because it's like, it's what I need to be able to do. I mean, I don't know. I think that there's arguments we made against it as well. Like, you know, if you have code that's working, don't, fic- don't fuck with it. That's but. true. If it ain't broke, don't fuck. Wait. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sure. But a lot of times where a refactoring makes sense, I think. I don't know, though. Like, every time you bulldoze something, the end result is always better. I think so, too, yeah. At least that's the hope, right? Yeah. I mean, if you were coming in and bulldozing stuff, and the only thing that you had done is it now looks like your style, which is, like, drastically different from mine or something, then... That would be annoying. Yeah, we might have words or something, you know? I think the times that it's become an issue is because people didn't really, like, think that was the case, right? 
like you may have bulldozed something or I bulldozed something and they were like, hey, I spent a long time like working on that code and it's hard to see, you know, and maybe it isn't better, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I know what that's like is, so let's say I'm working on a project and then I do a poll and I see these giant changes and then I go back to my, I go back to Vim and it's like, you want to load these files? I'm like, okay. And then bam, I feel like I'm in a different room. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, I don't know where I am anymore. Like, who moved my stuff? Like, this method name's not there. It's like, how do I work with this code? Yeah, it's like the other day I walked into my kitchen and I was going to prepare some food and um, Andrea had rearranged everything. Like, the knives weren't where they were normally. The spices weren't where they were. The the bread was somewhere else. And uh, Did you freak out? No, I didn't. I was very proud of myself actually so andrea was just like walking around doing stuff and as she came in nearby the kitchen i was like why did you rearrange the kitchen right and she walks in without even missing a beat she walks in and she's like well i moved the knives to fuck with you i moved <laughs> the spices to fuck with you and i moved the bread to fuck with you and then she just walked out it was great that's awesome i mean she was fucking with me she wasn't you know, right right but that's awesome <laughs> it was funny <laughs> but it's like that kind of thing where like there's there's a it, it puts a learning curve on your productivity it, it tends to be pretty shallow usually like it took me about a couple of minutes like mostly i just had to deal with my own emotions like ah move my stuff and, blah, 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 and all the grumbliness but once i got past that i totally made my sandwich or my dinner or whatever and it was fine and now i'm used to it you know right so there's probably that same kind of thing with code where like maybe you grumble about it and you're like ah fucking change my method name and i don't know where this shit is anymore but like the hope is that the changes are for the better and that way it'll all be good in the end I think that's why we work together so well is because we both understand that it's about making the code better and not necessarily like who wrote what pieces of code or whatever. I often wonder about other people who work together really closely is do they have uh, as much of a rapport or are they constantly wanting to kill each other? I, I have read before there's occasionally like these like um, like best of Stack Overflow links or something you'll see where someone's talking about how like, oh man, where was this? I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but there was this guy who sucked as a developer, kind of. You know, he just shuffled around jobs and he kind of sucked. This other dude who also kind of sucked. But what they had was they had these real specific skill sets. One guy was an excellent starter, but he could, couldn't finish anything to save his life. They'd be like, okay, we need that finished two weeks. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could never do it, right? The other guy couldn't start anything. If you were like, okay, we need this new product, he'd be like, no. And he couldn't do it, right? <laughs> right. But he was really great at like, polishing stuff he'd come into like pre, it had to be pre-existing framework stuff that was already in place and he'd come in to make it way better he put those two guys together and they were amazing hmm. separately they're, they're both kind of crap you know but i wonder if other people have that same kind of thing going on or if they sit there and they just mostly just like want to beat the shit out of each other you know it's probably a healthy mix yeah maybe i want to beat the shit out of you sometimes hmm it's a good call yeah we we also have a lot of conversations too about like what seems to me is really pedantic points i'll be like Jeff, I noticed that you. So here, here is a here's a quote. Big change in, in in the code is I noticed is you waffled between. So when you have a you create closure in JavaScript, you've got you have a function, and then somewhere uh, at the end of the function declaration, you want to put a pair parentheses to execute the function. To execute the function, right. and the Crockford advice is to have the parentheses running directly after after. <laughs> I might keep that in there. Uh, <laughs> directly after the closing bracket, curly brace. Curly brace, right. And some people, like Jeff Blair, will put, <laughs> will will wrap the whole function in parentheses and then put the closing parentheses after the closing parentheses that wrap. <laughs> this is a really pedantic point. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, but that's the kind of conversations we have. Yes. And we, I wonder if people have that kind of fucking granularity or if, or if I'm just really pedantic. No, I think we're both pedantic, actually. But it works really well because then we have these conversations and then we both, like, one of us will inevitably be convinced. It's not that like we have this thing where it's like, you got to put things my way. It's like if one of us can make a good argument for something, the other one will be like, oh, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. I can see why that makes sense. Like, let's do it that way. Yeah. And we both kind of just do it that way. Yeah, I love that. There are some things where people will be like, hey, you shouldn't style your code in this way or that way for this this and such a reason. And my reactions are always one of two things. Is One, I'm like, nope, I've got a really good reason and I'll explain it to you. And the other is like, okay, that sounds good. I really don't know why I was doing that. Right. <laughs> and I think the goal is to get to the point where everything that I write has a reason. Like a reason I do it that way, you know? Right, because you've been bit by a situation before... Yeah, like a, a collection of best practices and like patterns and how to simplify the code and make it more readable and all that. So kind of circling back to the onslaught defense mini mortem. Oh yeah. I think one of the biggest things to take away from that was our experiments with user interface. So we tried it like three or four different control schemes yes. uh, with shooting in the game, and we eventually landed on having the the guy kind of follow your thumb, so you kind of just slide in back and forth across the screen. Yeah, I forgot about that. So we sh- the first control scheme is you... Th- there was no thing at the bottom. So actually, your heart, the heart containers were at the bottom. Right. So right now, where the, where the lever is at the bottom of the screen, that wasn't there, and it was your number of heart containers. But you would basically tap the screen where you wanted to fire, and he would fire to that spot. Yeah, and it was kind of bad. I-, I gave it to Andrea. I was watching her play it, and she kept tapping the screen. And the controls that we had down was more like you put your finger down, and you move your finger, and that's where Zam aims at. But the problem was, your finger is then in the way, and you can't really see the enemies. That was a big problem for me. Yeah. Did we try one other thing? Oh, so so next we had Zam just appear in the middle, and he w- he was uh, stationary, and he wouldn't move. Right. And then we had the, the lever at the bottom of the screen, and as you would move it, he would change his angle. The which... problem with that was that it was hard to judge the angle. So at that point... When you're trying to shoot in an angle, you have to kind of know like how far along the lever should be for you to be shooting at that angle, and like it's not quite as obvious. Yeah, I felt like I didn't have as much control. So the, I think the angle thing could work really well on like an analog thumbstick, mm-hmm. where you know where the center is and you know where the the point is along the circumference. Right. Whereas if it's on this um, like a single linear, single axis then the angle doesn't it's not quite as natural it feels kind of weird i wonder if we could have had like a half circle like a half circle control instead of a left to right maybe that would have felt more natural for like firing angle Hmm. i don't know yeah that'd be some fun math too yeah that'd be cool but yeah so that one wasn't like we did play with that for a little while and it seemed okay but then we tried out uh just shooting the swords up straight oh so this is something else kind of a weird design mechanic that came out of the game is we had when you could angle your weapon uh, we had axes bouncing off the walls, which was pretty fun. But then when we change it so that you're moving Zam at the bottom of the screen, he just shoots straight up. All of a sudden, you can't bounce your axes anymore. And we which didn't made them weak as shit. Yeah, they they made the axes just not fun at all. So we made it so that they... It's kind of strange. They they shoot left and then right and then left and then right. It's kind of like if anyone's played Onslaught and the, the knives. It's kind of the same pattern as the mm-hmm. knives, except for their axes. I wanted to put in knives. The problem is uh, we didn't have the code in place to support firing more than one weapon at a time. And mm. I 
just wanted to get this game done. <laughs> I see. But knives are pretty fun. Those are my favorite weapon from Onslaught to this day. Yeah, they are. They're a lot of fun. I think that um, in the future, we probably would have wanted to nail down the control scheme a little earlier in the dev process. It seemed like we were nearing the finish line with the game, and we were still kind of like, oh, man, this control scheme doesn't feel right yet. Yeah, so the biggest problem with that game is uh, I feel like we didn't do this thing where you prototype a game and you find the fun immediately. And instead, like when I was making the game, I, I just figured it would be fun because Onslaught was fun. And I didn't really take into account the controls. Mm. So, I mean, I was playing the game primarily on my, in my development environment, which was in Chrome. And I had it set up where you could just move the mouse and that's where you would aim. And it was great because the mouse is invisible, basically. It's like this tiny little thing. Right, right. And you now this big fat finger with all this flesh attached to it, you know? So then I started playing it on mobile and I was kind of blind to it. I'm just like, la da, yay, I'm making games, I'm almost done. And then you started playing it and you were like, this controls fucking suck. <laughs> and then, you know, like, I'm like, huh, what? And then all of a sudden I'm not blind to it anymore. And I'm like, oh, I don't like it either. And I have Anne play it and she's like, yeah, it fucking sucks. And I'm like, oh shit. So, so then, yeah, the, the game was really close to being done. There wasn't all that much. Like, basically what I'll do when I'm like starting a new game project is I'll put all these variables in place and be like, okay, now I've got the ability to set like weapon stats, like the speed and the graphics and stuff like that. And I don't actually set it up so the game uses that smartly yet. I just put that variable in the mix, right? Right. And then I'll be like, okay, now there's a there's just monsters that come down the screen, and now I've got it set up so that you can change the duration and the graphics and the stats of those monsters, and then I'll move on. And I all that stuff was in place, but there was still this big fundamental problem of like the controls suck. I think that's the danger about developing like primarily in Chrome. I mean, mm -hmm. it's so nice and easy and fast to develop in, but you really have to make sure you're vetting the stuff on mobile. Yeah. Well, if you're designing for mobile. Yeah. I think I forgot the scope of the game because it's this game has a very specific purpose is we wanted to make a game, like a mobile version of Onslaught that runs pretty well in mobile browsers. Yep. And I was testing primarily on desktop. This just doesn't make sense for a game that you're targeting for mobile. Well, we got there. It works we pretty well. It does. Uh, I think it's pretty fun. Nice little simple game. So in addition to open sourcing Onslaught, we've also made it free. So even though we don't give you the source to the version that's on uh, the iPad um, and Android markets, you can still play it for free on those devices. It only supports Android 3.0 or above, so tablets and ice cream sandwich devices. It seems a little weird uh, for an indie game company who just kind of like are just now branching out and being like, we're going to go indie. very first thing we're going to do is stop our money coming in we're gonna give away a game for free that'll help us pay rent right isn't that weird <laughs> well that game wouldn't have paid our rent no it wouldn't have so <laughs> unless we lived in boxes <laughs> well cardboard boxes they would have to be shitty boxes well i'm okay with that okay. jeff don't you love games enough to live in a cardboard box i might hmm. i'd give it a try nice so the final bit of uh, really big onslaught news is joshua morris has released the original soundtrack and, that's great uh, yeah it's super great i i love the music a lot Really? I was listening to it last night, actually. Oh, were you? Yeah. That's great. I love the uh, the sewer stage. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. The yeah, artwork yeah. and the sound is just great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Sewer is either my first or second favorite song. I, I also love uh, Dragon's Lair. Oh, yeah. Dragon's and uh, the, both those songs, to me, they start they start off good, but then like the chorus or whatever you call it before it kind of like loops again, like the second movement or something, man, like he really nails both of those. Nice. I love them. So yeah, you should check out his OST. Um, I think you get it from Bandcamp. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, uh, he released with Ubiquitune, and uh, you can pay what you want on Bandcamp. Great. 
Okay, well, that's all we got for this week. Uh, we're going to play you out fittingly with music from Onslaught. If you like what you're played out with, go give Joshua Morris a couple bucks. Yep. See you next week, everybody.